Hi, everybody, and welcome to Season 3 of the Talk Music Podcast. My name's Tom Chamruth, and this season we've made some changes, with the main one being our interviews with our guests will now be longer so we can go deeper into the conversations. There will also be some international artists joining me for chats this season, and if you like what you hear, please sign up and follow to get notices of new episodes. I've had a lot of fun already doing some interviews during our time off, and I'm really excited to have on as our first guest this season, Tara Lightfoot, a monster talent, and here's a short blast of some music by Tara, followed by a brief introduction about her career so far before the start of our chat. Tara was born in Hamilton and then raised in Waterdown and the list of her growing accomplishments and legacy is very impressive indeed. She's released four studio albums plus a live orchestrated album on the Sonic Onion label distributed by Universal in Canada. And she's been nominated for a Polaris Music Prize and a Juno Award. She has also received a special Road Gold Touring Award in recognition of her traveling millions of miles to far out corners of our globe. Tara's toured with Blue Rodeo, Bruce Coburn opened for Willie Nelson and recently shared the stage with Blackie and the Rodeo Kings as they made their way across Canada. Tara in 2019 also organized a concert evening called The Longest Roadshow featuring a stellar female lineup and female crew that did a very successful five-city jaunt in Ontario. Hi Tara, it's so great to have you join me for this podcast. Hey Tom, thanks for having me. Yeah, so before we get to the music, um, I was actually online and saw you perform what looked like an amazing concert last night in Halliburton. <laughs> um, so I believe you now live there. So, uh, And I also, by the way, saw you the day before cross-country skiing, which I love doing. And um, so what made you relocate to Halliburton? Man, you know what? Uh, I was living downtown Hamilton at King and James Street. And it was awesome. I know the corner. <laughs> yeah. And I, I have lived at all kinds of addresses on James Street North and then in the East End and then right downtown, like Wellington area. I, I lived in a place on uh, Stevens Street. I've lived all over Hamilton. Okay. And when I was looking for a house, guess what I couldn't afford? <laughs> house in Hamilton. <laughs> I know that's bizarre because what is it? Seven, eight years ago, you, we could have got them for what? 200, 300,000. I, I mean, it's insane. Yeah. Yeah. So we found one for approximately half the price that was uh fantastic. It's in the middle of the woods and turns out me and my fiance, both city living guitar players, our entire lives. Uh, both of us are cut out for the country life. So we, we really kind of come into our own since we moved up here. We spend a lot more time outside and... Uh, oh, for sure. And you've got nature everywhere there. You, all, you know, you just walk out your door, right? It's gorgeous. Yeah. Oh, I know. 
it's funny. It, I just went for my first snowshoe by myself today. I bought a pair of snowshoes. Oh, so you're doing that and this, because uh, I saw you, I think it was cross country. Maybe it was snowshoes you were on. Yeah, snowshoes. Yeah. Oh, oh, I thought you were cross country. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, you, I'm sure you might get around to that too, because that's also fun. <laughs> I've never tried that. That's when you said cross country skiing, I was like, is he, are you talking about you, Tom? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So it was snowshoes I saw you on because you were in the middle of the forest. Yeah. Which is my favorite place to go to. Like, uh, I, I think everybody needs to get away from social media once in a while. <laughs> oh my gosh. Isn't it awesome? It's it's awesome to do that. I go out to Bancroft actually and do, do a bunch of skiing out that way over by Algonquin, but. Uh, oh, gorgeous. It, it is indeed. So, um, so that's great that you're living up there. And uh, is it a musical community? Because as I mentioned, I know um, uh, Carl Dixon, ex-lead singer for Guess Who, and I was with Coney Hatch, et cetera. He was just on the show and he said he's got even horses in his backyard and he loves it up there. So oh. you know, are there other musical people up there? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I haven't, uh, I haven't met a ton of of the folks until last night. Realistically, we played our first show of the year. It was really, actually, amazing. From what I could see, it looked amazing. Yeah, yeah, it was like sold out. It looked like a full house, and uh, yeah, packed to the rafters, and uh, and then you're home in two minutes. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. And and the band came over and had a sleepover at my house, which was really fun. Oh, that's that's really fun. Yeah. Because nobody ever, when do we ever have an opportunity to drive two and a half hours to see, you know, your band friends when we play shows all the time? Well, may, maybe you're going to be leading some other uh, musicians to start hitting up that way. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It could, it could happen. Yeah. But the show, you know, the show was so great. It was so wonderful. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that people in Halberton like to rock and roll. So that was a nice discovery. Because you never know until you try, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I met, um, through it, I met the other radio station in town, the Moose. I met them. And oh, I love the Moose. <laughs> so cool. What a station. Yeah. Oh, it's a fantastic station. I wish more, I wish more of them around like that, you know. I know. Reminded me of the old days. Yeah, the one that I already knew up here is, is Canoe, which is like a community radio mm -hmm. station, which is wicked. Yeah. Oh, it's fantastic living up there. Yeah. So... Let's go back to what you just finished before Christmas, and that was an amazing tour that you just completed with Blackie and the Rodeo Kings. Who? I'm just joking. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it was the best. <laughs> I know. Well, I, we're going to talk about it for, for a few minutes here. Great. I could talk about it for six hours if you want. I know you could. I could too. Um, <laughs> I was also there at the newly renovated Massey Hall, by the way, which was a fantastic concert in every which way. And you know what? I actually went to the post party. Ooh. I said hi to Tom and Colin, who I both know. But you know, I think I saw you in the corner, and I was a little shy. I didn't. I did. I don't really know you. I know you a bit now, but I would have come and said hi. But I think you were up there with some bar, like a, a block away or something, on the second floor. Yeah, we rolled in. Dan Lamois was looking for French fries. I was trying to procure them for him. Oh, right. Yeah. 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 I know Danny too, which is, which is, yeah, he's uh, going to try to get him on here. That would be fun. They didn't serve food, which was the issue. I think that was the whole issue. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> um, so anyway, the, my question about that whole experience is how was it for you being on stage with not only great musicians, but it also looked like there was uh like really a genuine camaraderie going on. Like everybody was just smiling and laughing and, you know, hugging each other. Uh, like, you know, <laughs> yeah. like was the whole tour like that? Like, can we give us some comments about what the tour was like? I mean, it makes me smile just to think of it. I think that uh, there's a lot of love on the stage. I remember before mm -hmm. everybody went on at Massey, a bunch of people had their uh, partners there, husbands, wives, whatever. And, you know, 
there was just like love backstage before the show, during the show, after the show. You know, Tom's family was there. His daughter was there. That was really special. Well, it, it certainly had a family uh, vibe to it for sure. And and it, it just, everybody felt warm and fuzzy. I know just, just being there because yeah. I was looking around too and my, you know, were the people around me and everybody was just in a great mood. There should be more shows like that. <laughs> I think for me, I mean, part of it, obviously I've been, you know, I've had my career for several years now, but where I came from was Hamilton. And the first, some of the first people to, kind of mentor me and help me out. One of them was Tom. One of them was Rita Shirelli. Uh, one of them was Lori Yates. And one of them was Dan Lanois. Got it. And those, and, uh, cause I was actually going to ask you that is, were you already friends and, uh, or was some of the bonding that took place, um, on tour or, or was there extra bonding going on because you had actually spent so much time together? Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was above and beyond. Above and beyond yeah. But Colin Linden is somebody that I didn't, I mean, we have known each other and I've been to his house before. Um, he's obviously such, so generous with his time, especially to young musicians. I remember like eight years ago, maybe I went to his house or something mm -hmm. and we had a coffee and talked shop and, but getting to be on a bus with Colin and, uh, driving between Winnipeg and Thunder Bay together. <laughs> that's a different, that was kind of a different story. Oh my God. His stories are amazing. I had him on by the way, last week, it'll, it'll be coming up soon in one of my podcasts. And we could, we, we could have gone on for six hours as well. Like he just does story after story and I had to go calling. Let's do part two or three. Yeah. <laughs> he just started getting into his Coen brothers movie or something, or sorry. Yeah. The movie that he did and we, we ran out of time. So I'll have to come back to that, but he's just um, a wealth of, of knowledge of, of everything, you know, he's a fount. And I think the cool, the coolest thing for me, I started just giving uh, giving him my phone for the soundtrack for the bus when we listened to the stereo. So if I gave him my phone, then it would have a record of what he was playing. So they could look it up after and go, what song was that? That was such a cool song. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we played guitar together a lot. I really enjoyed that. And uh, between Stephen and Tom, there was a lot of inspiration. Mm -hmm. uh, they both, you know, they really have a gift for songwriting. And I think... They both work at it as well, which I really appreciate. You know, Tom can, of course, come up with a lyric and a melody within moments that grabs you. That's for sure. Um, and that's something that doesn't always happen for me. But uh, Stephen also, like, you know, he teaches workshops and things like that. So that was a, a nice view of working for your songs and spending time with them every day and getting into a routine. That, that was uh, so there was a lot of example that i was taking from these guys for sure i think i was giving some stuff back too you know we, we had fun well let's get into um now you're certainly uh, i'm going to use the word a touring warrior as you've probably logged more mile, miles than anybody i know in the last few years at least <laughs> canadian musicians go um and you've actually been given a special award for that achievement so how have you managed to travel so extensively around the world so far? And uh, how have you coped? What are your coping mechanisms for, for being out there? Because you just spent time with some wonderful people, but sometimes you're by yourself, et cetera. And, or sometimes you don't know the band. And, you know, uh, we all know that n not everybody gets along with everybody out there. <laughs> there are times when you might be with people you don't want to be with so much. So how do you do it? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, COVID ended up being a nice break actually yeah i'm sure like many musicians everybody says that yeah i'm sure everybody was at sort of a burnout point you know and getting getting that break where it's like nope you can't go anywhere i can't see anyone can't do anything yep that was uh pretty healthy and i still got to gig a ton 
even if only virtually for the first little six months or whatever. Um, but it's been the past couple of years have been really great. But before that, I, I, I read that you, you it t- did take a toll on you where you came home really oh, yeah. mentally burned out and physically exhausted. So again, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of digging into that part of, uh, was that just too much touring? Well, check this out. I mean, I, I got off the road. I remember the last time I saw Gary and Johnny from Blackie. Yep. It was, uh, they were the rhythm section for Bruce Coburn. Mm-hmm. And I was coming off a tour opening for Bruce in Canada. And I was flying then, I think, directly to Australia and then to Japan. <laughs> okay. And well, then I was going to come home for two days before going to the States for six weeks. Uh, but instead of going home, I said, I just want to... I just want to be somewhere uh, kind of on the way. So I stopped in Germany and played some shows there. <laughs> uh, I, I'm tired just listening to it. <laughs> Man, I was gone. That was the longest I've ever been gone. I was gone for like 93 days or something, like three full months. Unbelievable. So when you got home, you were really fried. I was blitzed. But you know what? The best thing I learned, this is what I can suggest to anybody who's traveling. Because I love to hike and I love to walk. Uh-huh. And the first thing that I ask, if I know how to say it, is uh, what is trying to kill me in these woods or wherever I'm going, you know? <laughs> All right. I remember I went to Austria and they said, oh, nothing. We don't have bears. We don't have wolves. Like, you're good. Just head off. It's fun. You'll have a great time. <laughs> That's good. But, you know, in Australia, it was not that way. So that was probably a way to um, charge your batteries sort of when you get off the plane, like go for a walk and do things like that, get out in nature or whatever, right? Yeah. Before you, you hit the stage at night. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. So is that is that one of your your sort of coping mechanisms then? And, and uh, you know, there are other things you've learned to do, like um, eat the right food, uh, you know, obvious yeah. things. Yeah. Yoga, meditation, all good things. Um, I don't drink anymore. That's a kind of a big one. That's a big one. That's a big one. Yeah. That was, it was, it was so funny. Tom and I were the craziest people on that Blackie and the Rodeo Kings bus <laughs> and the only ones who don't drink. Oh, I didn't know Tom did neither. Wow. That's a, that's wild. Yeah. Doesn't mean we don't know how to party. No. I'll tell you that. I'm sure you do you guys do. <laughs> so here's here's a here's a good question for you. So um What's it like been touring as a solo female artist? And correct me if I'm wrong, but almost all the touring you've done has been just you and your shadow, like ex- excluding some of these opening s- slots and stuff. Oh, no. I mean, man, mostly with my trio. I'm lucky. Oh, okay. Oh, you're lucky. So you haven't been doing a lot of that where you're just uh, solo uh, in Europe by yourself or something or, or whatever. You've always well, managed to, to bring up another musician along or two. Sometimes. I mean, when I went to Germany that time by myself, I had a tour manager. Okay. So I'm always with somebody who knows what the heck is going on. Oh, that's good. So you haven't done that much on your own. So that's good because that could be pretty rough. Yeah, I think that, and that would be mentally taxing. It would be. And so I have my trio that I tour with. Okay. Yeah. Back in the day, I used to tour with three people or even four. I remember on the Blue Rodeo tour, we also had a backup singer. Okay. That was fun. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I think, so I think the key, you know, it's just how you introduced it. It's like, what's it like being a a female artist on your own? And I think the whole thing that we have to slog against Mm -hmm. as women Mm -hmm. is being characterized as women instead of just musicians. Sure. And so that's like the whole thing, you know, is, is going out there and you have to like prove yourself night after night. Whereas, um, sometimes, and that's not necessarily true anymore. There's, there's been a lot more, you know, there's some big strides that have been made since somebody like Rita Shirelli was a kid coming up, you know, 
it's changed a lot. So, so you're not finding that much sort of gender parity issues anymore out there, like where you you have to bite your lip because somebody's spoken down to you in a sort of derogatory way. Oh, I definitely have. Oh, but is it? I've had that happen. Is it getting better now? Is it because of you know the Me Too movement, which was it five years into that now? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, I kind of uh, you know. Maybe I have a face that says don't bullshit me. <laughs> okay, yeah. They might be scared of you, yeah. Yeah, or like people just seem not to, it just doesn't seem to cross my path anymore. Because I would think sometimes some of these guys would go, oh, what do you know about gear? You're just a female or, or whatever, yeah. you know, like, and, and you're probably extremely knowledgeable about gear, maybe more so than, than they are. You know where I got some practice, Tom? I used to work at Long McQuaid in the guitar department. Oh, there you go. <laughs> you probably know more than they do. So I would pick up the phone and they would say, oh, can I have somebody in the guitar department i'd be like yep you're talking to her and they'd be like can i have somebody who works in the guitar department and i'd say yep still here all right there you go so i was i was very used to that and, and you're also so, so experienced now at touring that they can also talk down to you about touring or the mechanics of how, how that all works because you're out you've been out there doing that you're you're not, you're pretty well an expert at it you could you could do seminars on it <laughs> yeah, maybe I, you do. yeah and i have yeah, yeah that's great that's great <laughs> That's, that's really good. But I think, you know, that's not, that's not the story for, for all people, but that's, no. that's my story. Yeah. You know? Well, I'm also really happy to, that I was able to see online that you, you did that um, show with also all female crew, which I thought was yeah. really cool because I don't know if I've ever seen that before. I know it was, it was Lilith, Lilith Fair many years ago. I'm not sure that was all female. It was female musicians on stage, but I don't know if the, the, the actual crew was. Yeah. Everybody who worked on that tour. I think you've started something new there and that that was really cool to see that. That's one thing that hasn't come back since I since I did it the first time and I would like to bring it back. Uh-huh. Um and and what so here's what we were working against there. It was very interesting. Okay. I did not want to say when when you know I was doing an interview like with the Toronto Star my friend Ben Rayner was working there. Mhm. Yep. And uh he was like, so it's an all, all women touring review. And I was like, yes, but if you're printing it, if you're putting it in print, I don't want it to say that because that's what we're kind of working against. Right. Cause if it was a show, mm-hmm. if it was black and the rodeo Kings, you'd go, that's great. That's going to be a great show. You don't go, that's going to be an all man show. Got it. Got it. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And this is ingrained language that we have all, including myself adopted over many years. Right. So mm-hmm. that's kind of what the longest road show is, is up for is, is, and that's why it's called the longest road show. Cause it's a long road, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yes, it is. It is. So that's, well, I'm uh, so happy you're working on it for, for everybody and uh, making yeah. things better out there. Yeah. And together, you know, like all the women that were on that show are standalone knockout artists. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, Shakura Saida, I for do, example. I do. Uh, she's great. Holy jumping. Yeah, yeah. Incredible <laughs> voice. You're absolutely right. Yeah, no, I'm familiar with the artists. And uh, again, congratulations on that. So thank you. let's move on to your recordings as you... Um, Knew I was going to go there. I'm, I've also been a producer <laughs> my whole life, so I'm, I'm, I love the the studio world. Um, you've made four studio albums, and your first one came out in 2011, correct? Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. Now, before your first recording experience, who were your musical influences when you were growing up, and um, are there any particular albums that resonated with you and still do that that sort of you go to as your sort of you know we'll say desert island if you like. Um, you know, or if you don't, if you can't think of them off, off the top of your head, you know, uh, who were your musical influences? Yeah. So I had an interesting thing 
my parents didn't actually listen to music. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So I would take piano lessons. The only thing we listened to was my Suzuki piano tapes, which I had to learn and then play on piano for my teacher. Uh And uh, I didn't really like that either. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. okay. Yeah. Then I picked up guitar when I was like 10. Yeah. Discovered the Beatles through some high school friends when I was 14 or maybe, maybe a little earlier. One of my teachers showed me the Beatles grade seven. Okay. Yes. Um, but then, you know, Simon and Garfunkel, then I was on to, I think I saw you near mention Nick Drake, who I'm a huge fan of. Yeah. Which I, oh, I still yeah. go back to his stuff. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Um, lead belly's always been a big one for me. Etta James. Yeah. So the, the blues heroes of that era of the, you know, the twenties, thirties, forties, fifties, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. Were there any pushbacks from your parents and others when you when you started, you know, pursuing music or enjoying it or, or whatever? And, and by the time you ended up, you know, actually getting signed, uh, was it a really, really you know, tough convincing everybody that, uh, you, you know, you had the goods? You know what? It was. Um, so my grandmother was a professional musician. Oh, my mother's mother. Yeah, she was a, a piano player. Fantastic. Yeah, she played on the Via train between Toronto and Montreal. Very cool. So cool. And she also had seven kids. So when (laughs) when she was doing that, she would bring, sometimes she'd have to bring my three uncles and they would be, I don't know, between probably age four and seven. Mm -hmm. She'd have to sit them down on the train and play through her three sets or whatever for all the travelers. That's so cool. So, so was she kind of a mentor for you? Like, uh, yeah, you, so you looked up to her. Yeah. Yeah. And so she used to lead by the time I was around, she was about 70 or something um so she she would bring me to her choir practice that she led she would play the piano for her choir so i'd get to go when i was really little like three or four and then um she was really a honky-tonk kind of player and i didn't get into country i'm so sad okay until after she passed so i could never really follow her you know when i was 17 18 and really trying to jam with her i was sort of on, on more of a punk or a rock phase you know which was normal for that age too probably yeah and uh and i wanted to play with her but i couldn't understand the changes and um i mean it's definitely one of my one of my regrets but i know yeah you know she she was incredible she was an incredible player and she made space for me no matter what i was doing with music and how about your parents where did you did you have to do a lot of convincing oh no no they were okay my mom before I had my license, she would drive me around to bars oh, so that wonderful. I could put in my resume to play covers. Oh, isn't that sweet? <laughs> isn't that sweet? Yeah. That's so nice. She's always been. And yeah. Uh, but she, you know, even now, actually, she was at the Halliburton show and she sat in the back, which is what I like because she makes me so nervous. <laughs> <laughs> All moms do. Yeah. It's just a thing. No matter what you do. It doesn't matter how old you are. No, it doesn't matter. Or how many shows you've played. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Yeah. So let's go to your um, albums again. Let's go deeper here. Okay. You work with a, some different producers now, and um, I've noticed that um, either you or the producers also changed the overall sound of each recording along with your musical direction. So um, let's go to album number two, um, Every Time My Mind Runs Wild. You work with Gus Van Gogh and Warner F. Mm-hmm. And so what did you learn from that experience? And would it be fair to, to say their approach was more of a um, power pop and making the songs as catchy as they could? Yeah, I mean, they taught me about uh, riffs, 
you know, like mm-hmm. my, I mm-hmm. had written all these. The importance of having a great riffs, riffs and songs. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I had, I had uh, like say for No Hurry, which was potentially probably is my biggest song still silly. I saw that on Spotify yet that had the most uh, streams, I think. Yeah. That one, that one I had the riff for and I knew what to do, Yeah, but a song like all alone, which is the first track on that. Um, I had the verse and the chorus and the B part all mapped out. Yeah. Um, but Gus was like, well, it needs a riff. Like you got to have a riff. <laughs> and, but his immediacy, Gus and I are, have such a great friendship. I'm actually in the middle of, almost finishing my uh, current record with him, the one that I'm working on now. Oh, wow. That's so interesting that you came back now because you, you were, we'll, we'll go there. We'll go there. It's amazing. But anyway, he, him and I have this one too, where he just says, do it. And I, and I, for some reason I'm inspired by. <laughs> right. It's just, it's just magical that the two of you just have it. Yeah. I, yeah. I can relate to that as a producer. Like sometimes you just, you know, immediately the, the artist and you latch into the same wavelength and you write on the same page. And other times it's just like, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> we're on opposite and, and sides are. here. And, yeah. yeah. And sometimes that works too. I mean, sometimes tension is good. Yeah. But um, um, that's interesting that, that you learned about riffs because obviously, you know, if you have a song with a great riff and a great melody and a great lyric, uh, you, you know, you're, you're pretty well there. Yeah. I mean, my, yeah, the lyrics were never, never really a problem. No. Um, because I, I would always go in with those kind of finished, right? Well, you're always talking about personal experiences from what I can see. Like, Yeah, it was always a story. So I always had the story down, but it was how to tell it. You know, that's what I needed help with. For sure. So let's go to the third album now titled New Mistakes, which is uh-huh. the one that was nominated for Juno Award and Polaris Music Prize. Yeah. And it earned tons of accolades from the press as well. So... Um, would it be fair to say that that album for you was just, um, you added more bluesy soul to it and it was just sort of a tougher sounding record? Yeah, I think... A little less pop, a little bit more, you know, muscular and a little bit more bluesy. Yeah, and I think it was a little bit more polished. Yeah, a little more polished, yep. I noticed that the, the second album too, by the way, again, I'm a producer, so <laughs> sorry about being so analytical here, but I noticed there was more reverb on that record too. And then you started drying it up as the, for the next records Yeah. Uh, and using more room sound, which is always was my favorite thing to do as a producer is always go into a great room and use the room as your sound right? and use that as your reverb and glue everything together that way. So anyway, I, I started noticing that. So, uh, you know, I'm going deep here, but <laughs> oh, no, it's good. <laughs> okay. The place actually where we did new mistakes, it's a great studio. It's called Jukasa. It's on uh, Six Nation. Uh, yes, I've been there. I've uh, yeah, I've done something there. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It well. it's, it's great. They're wonderful. It's great. Yeah. It was cool. We brought Gus uh, and Werner to to make that record there. It was it was really fun. Yeah. It was you know you stay you stay there at the studio, so we stayed there for two weeks and. Uh, That's for that record. The, the, yeah. Yeah. The the new mistakes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and what did you learn from that particular recording? Um, uh, you know, as as far as, you know, what could you improve on the next recording? And I'm saying that because every artist is like a producer, never satisfied 100% with what you do, um, even though it's obviously a very, very good record. Yeah. Is there anything that you learned that you were like, oh, well, I'd like to try this next time or a little more of this, a little less of that, blah, 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 you know? I, I was obsessed with having things ideally pre-1972 because that was when my guitar was from. Mm-hmm. And my amplifier is from 1962. Okay, that's 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 nice and old. Yeah, but I, so I was like obsessed with getting only sounds pre 1972 on this record, and I, I I kind of went a little 
went a little deep and I don't know if that ended up happening. I feel like there were definitely some newer sounds on there. So I, I vowed for the next record that we would not go past 1972 (laughs) (laughs) with our our gear, which sounds like a silly thing, but it's like, no, no, I get it. I get it. So that's, that was one of your, your sort of, um, minor goals that let's say to improve on. And, and, and so, so you went then to, um, uh, your newest recording, consider the speed, which uh, was released uh, in 2020. Mm-hmm. You recorded that at the famous landmark Royal studios in Memphis by Grammy winning producer Jay Newland. So let's talk about that. For me, it's, um, personally a, a great smoldering mix of hard rockers some bluesy soul some nice ballads and the production and recording is top notch so yeah it was awesome reflecting on yeah reflecting on uh, back on this album now tara what, what did you learn at that time working with these studio wizards so on that record uh jay hired the band which was really cool steve potts on the drums yes they're all uh, nashville guys or sorry memphis guys yeah but steve is just a wild drummer and such a nice human. Uh, Lester Snell played the keyboards. And again, it was like such a pleasure to play with him. He played on the Shaft soundtrack. If that places Wurlitzer and other, he he played organ as well. And um, Jim Spake ended up playing some uh, horns and the Memphis horns came or what's, you know, whoever it happens to be. No, it's a one, it's a wonderful sounding record. Yeah. And Boo Mitchell was the star of my show. Personally, he was so much fun. And uh, he, he, so the, the way that this record got made is my friend, John Box, who mm-hmm. is dearly departed and he worked for Universal. Oh yes. I, I knew him actually. Yep. And he, oh my gosh, I love John. I love them. I did too. And uh, he told me, he said, I want to hear you make a soul record. And Bernard Zuhl, who's in Australia, had said the same exact thing. He's like, I'd like to hear you make a soul record in Memphis. And John connected me with Boo Mitchell and said, go for a studio tour. You'll love it. I know you're going to love it. And I did. And then um, turns out when I asked Jay to produce, he said, well, would you like to go? The plan was to be in New York. Um, And then a couple weeks in advance, he said, you know, I think we should record in Memphis. What do you think? Mm -hmm. And I want to record at this studio. And I said, well, that works for me. So we switched all the plans, switched the band, switched everything. And I think it was far better to go to Memphis than to New York for me at that time. Yes. You know, if we're talking about the the silly, um, you know, uh, what would you call it? Like the the vibe of each city. Like I, I'm happy. I'm happy with where it ended up. Yeah, for sure. Um, you can reflect back now and go, well, there's actually not that much you you could change from it because it's pretty damn good. <laughs> yeah, thank you. That's so nice to say. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So again, I'm I'm really curious here to to hear more about, um, you know, you're adding all sorts of sort of um, production knowledge into your into your toolkit here because now you've started producing. I, I was reading. So yes, how how great is that for you? And um, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I actually did not want to be a producer. Really? <laughs> well, I didn't. I also you seem didn't really know. keen on gear and stuff and how the whole I'm process totally works. I'm totally keen. Yeah, yeah, you're keener. The way that I got into it was uh, my friend Ayla Brook, um, who's from Edmonton. He has a band called Ayla Brook and the Sound Men because all of them in their different uh, workplaces actually do sound, mm-hmm. even though they're working different facets of the industry. Anyway they wanted to make a record and they wanted somebody to produce it and they wanted me to do it. 
And I remember being like, oh, no, thanks. I don't do that. <laughs> really? Really? You said no in the beginning? Yeah, I said no. And uh, and I think basically... Hmm. Were you lacking confidence? No, I, I think it was just that I didn't think I... I did that. And this, this is a thing that um, <laughs> it happens to a lot of people, a lot of artists, because a lot of, a lot of songwriters or whoever you want to call mm -hmm. musicians have an idea about how they should sound. Mm -hmm. And they often will share that information in a session. And often it ends up sounding a little bit like that because you want the artist to be happy. Right. Um, but what we don't realize is that that's part of what production is. Um, and for me, like my favorite thing is picking apart a song, like and moving parts, doing harmonies, melodies, like changing. To me, the arrangement is arrangement is so key because even if you have melody and great everything else, uh, sometimes if you screw up the arrangement, uh, you can be in trouble. <laughs> yeah. So I, I made I ended up making another one after that with my friend Christy Lane Sinclair. Her single is out. Uh huh. I think as of yesterday. Oh wow! I have to check those out. That was that was a crazy session. We hired uh, again the best musicians in the biz that I knew. All of them happened to be, all of them happened to be women, which is crazy. <laughs> and uh, but I think my favorite part of that session. Well, that's crazy good. That's crazy good. And let's go here now. Why do you think there's so few female producers around? Because you're you're basically just telling me that you even were hesitating. Yeah. Uh, is it just because? Well, let me think. If I was a an artist, a male, you know. And a female came to me, why would I, I don't know why I would discriminate if she's got the good, she's got the good and she's knowledgeable and been successful like you have. Why would I not listen? Yeah. I don't get it. Well, I'm glad you're asking this question. I think not a lot of people are speaking about this. You know, maybe they're, they're starting to in the past couple of years. Well, I hardly ever bumped into a female producer in my career. And it's, yeah. you know, I went, went to production for many, many years and I don't think I ever saw one. I mean, there's not a lot of examples, right? No, no. Even right now, as we talk, there, there might only be, I'd have to look it up. There may only be, I'm not going to say successful ones making a living. I want to say probably 4% of them would be women. <laughs> yeah, if that, I was going to go lower. <laughs> yeah, I was going to go crazy. like there might be two or three in the entire country. I know in hip hop, there's a few. I can't think of their names off the top of my head, but I know there's a few. Yeah. And I mean, in. Well, please keep going and doing that. Uh, do you have time? <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. It's like. Because you probably got other tours and stuff lined up or being lined up. Well, and I'm, ma I'm making my own record too. I mean, I love, I do love bringing songs to life. Mm -hmm. And I love working with. My friends, Christy's an amazing artist. Ayla's an amazing artist. And um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not opposed. And I loved curating The Longest Roadshow too. For sure. And you want to do that again. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I want to do that again too. There's all kinds. I mean, I, I feel lucky to, to have so many options of things that I can do in this. Well, let me put it to you this way. Another thing that's great about producing is, you know, later on when you want to slow down, and I'm talking later on, you know, many years down <laughs> the road, you know, maybe 20 or whatever, it could yeah, be 40. Yeah. Uh, you may just love going back in the studio and hanging around because it's so much fun. You know, as Colin and I spoke, I mean, it's, yeah. you know, what kind of a gig is that where you get paid to to follow your passion and hang out with musicians all day? Come on. <laughs> I know. I've had a fantastic life doing that. I loved every minute of it. Yeah. Like, and I, I was thinking, it's interesting. I haven't thought about it in a long time, but when I first went to Toronto Island to record that first record mm -hmm. and I was afraid of that red light, you know, like, pressing record here we go yep it was so scary it's very very common everybody feels that yeah and trying to do uh one of the songs i'm trying to remember i don't know which one it was but it was one where i was just playing and singing the whole way through live and that was it yeah 
And I remember having to stop and start and going, oh my gosh, I didn't get it the first time. Well, you know what I used to do? Here's a little story for I used to always, always get the band to practice the song first and pretend I'm not recording. And of course I'd go with, you know, record this, you know, and pretend I'm, you know, I'm not even listening. I'm, you know, fiddling with my phone or something. And nine times out of 10, that's the take. I know. Nine times out of 10. There's no, there's no uh, fear. We used to always do it. Um, it always works because I don't care who you are. You're always going to get nervous when you know the red light's coming on, particularly if you say, oh, we're recording now. Even <laughs> you if you're recording the live show, you know, which, yeah. which is fun too. But if you know that that's happening, I mean, I, I like uh, some bands do it every night. And I really like that because you can always catch something if it was really great. You can, yeah. But other bands who are, you know, it's like, oh, we're going to play this special venue that we really love tonight and we're going to record it like the Commodore or something. For sure. Vancouver. Yeah. Yep. And then you're building up to that and then you're freaking yourself out. And, and it's probably pretty reasonable to record that now. You could, you could record your shows easily now, of course. And for totally uh, and not like the old days where you had to drag, you know, big machines into the venue oh my and gosh. stuff. The size of a car. Yeah, it was a nightmare. Wow. Yeah. It is pretty wild. So, no, I, I really hope you, you do continue your production work. Um, that, that's something that, yeah, like, again, you can uh, do later on in life, we'll say. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I did um, I did one. I'm trying to think. I, I The City of London put on a like a production or a songwriting recording workshop thing, and I, I went to produce three different groups there, and that was really cool. Mm-hmm. I worked with especially, I mean, young people in general, but some young women that were like, so amazing and i think my main message to them was remember that you too are a producer like if you're in here and you have ideas you're a producer too and i think we just have to start calling it that yeah no well good for you so before we move on um i'm going to talk about your last recording um the track called where did you sleep last night oh yeah released in july now It's actually my my personal favorite track of yours is it's just so punchy and beefy. Thank you. And it's also so dynamic with your vocals and the music is it just, you know, they both really soar as the song develops. Like where and how did you do that? And who produced that? Because here's my major props as a producer. I'm going to give you 10 out of 10 on that. <laughs> That's and I, I, I never do that. I never give anybody 10 out oh, of 10. Oh, thanks. No, seriously, well, it's great. It's just so well done. I mean, I don't know how well it's doing out there. I hope it's doing well because uh, I, I just think you, you've nailed it. Well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, that... Um... Obviously, it's King Led Belly is one of his songs that I love. Yes, and I've sang it, you know, since I was seventeen or something like that. Um, but that was one of the last tracks. It was the last track that we did on that Memphis record. Oh, okay. Um, we recorded. I think we ended up doing sixteen tunes, and we did four songs a day. I basically met that band that I talked about earlier, yep. shook hands, yep, and started recording with the band that Jay picked. Okay, and uh, on day four. I mean, you know, it was sort of the thing where I had become friends with these guys and were laughing and joking and having fun. And um, that was sort of an afterthought. It was like, okay, well, we got done like the 12 or 10 tracks that we needed to do. That's just... It's so good. I mean, you know, it reminds me of my um, <clears throat> my Big Sugar days because I, I signed Big Sugar to my label many years ago. Oh, you ago. did? I That's did, awesome. yeah, yeah. I saw Gordy Johnson in a club and signed him to my, to my label. And anyway, so I produced their, their first record and Gordy was doing a lot of these old blues songs, you know, Wild Ox Moan and, jeez, mm. I'm going to go back. I'm trying to remember these, but they were a lot of covers, but he just did them in such a, a unique stylistic way that was him. 
and they all worked and it was very, very successful for him until this day. He's, you know, I mean, he really blasted loud too when he plays them, but, uh, Oh my gosh, <laughs> that was the most fun. I got to turn my amp up to like eight and a half. Yeah. But I, I just wanted to comment on that track cause I, I really thought you nailed it. So there you go. Well, thanks. Yeah. The, the sound. So that was the only time we did that. Yeah. We, I never really said how long we were going to do anything. And at the very end, um, I ended up obviously overdubbing the solo because yes. there was no other guitar players. It was just me. But it's great. And your, vo and your voice is really soaring there, like three quarters of the way through. You're just building the song nicely. I, I love that. Yeah. Thank you. But then my favorite part was that I walked up because I was in the vocal booth the whole time. Uh -huh. And I could never have a sight line to see Steve, the drummer. Uh -huh. And at the end, I actually walk up. I don't think you can hear it, but I walk up to the window and like make eye contact with them to let them know we're ending. Okay. And that was one of my favorite things because I can hear it. I can hear myself walking over. You know? Yeah. Oh, that's nice. But those are the little things that we love. Yeah. That's kind of cool. That's very, very cool. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Sorry, with my last question. It's all good. I think I'm going to start asking all my guests this question. And um, so here it is. <clears throat> you ready? Yeah. Okay. If I give you a magic wand with three wishes to change anything you want in the current music business, what would you change? Oh my gosh. You can take a second or two or oh five. Oh my gosh. You can think. You can think. Okay. Number one, 50-50 gender parity on all levels, because that can be one. Great. How fun is that? That's fantastic. Uh, number two, that streaming is gone. <laughs> <laughs> you want it to go away? <laughs> I don't care what we use, whether it's vinyl or CDs or freaking eight tracks. Or yay vinyl, because at least it's still hanging in there and hopefully getting even better. Yeah. Yeah. Or even like a download card. I was fine with that. So, so let me get this straight. Are you saying that like what everybody's saying out there, that the streaming payouts are just ridiculously low and nobody can make a living unless you're, you know, uh, Taylor Swift? You know what? I honestly think that it's less about the money and more to me about making something special that is lasting. Got it. And I feel like it, as a result, younger musicians are like, I just got to get something out because I want it to be on Spotify or I want it to be mm -hmm. on the internet. And it's like, well, but I think that there's a way to make something really special. Even if it's only one track, sure, it can be a single, but it should be you know, released with care. I think where you're going with this is nothing replaces sitting there with your vinyl in front of, you know, real speakers, not, not, you know, plug in headphones or whatever you have. Agree. Uh, again, I'm going to go old school here on that. Like when you used to, you know, sit in front of your, your stereo and have your, your, your vinyl look at who actually played on the record, who produced it. Now you can't find any information unless you really start digging around online. And it, it's just so boring to pull your computer out again and, you know, start looking around and, yeah. and, and besides that, you know, when, when you have, um, Spotify up to last, I checked, that was 60,000 tracks a day. Like, think about that for a yeah. second, a day. I know. There's it's just too way too much. Now, and honestly, uh, uh, it's too bad because a lot of it is shite. The people are just recording at home. <laughs> no, no, well, because you can, you know. You, yeah, you can. You, you can, and you can put it out there. You know, you can go to your distro kit or whatever, and uh, nobody's getting turned down. I mean, uh, that's uh, it's just way too much music out there. And you know what? My problem is, is I love rock music, and I can't find it myself. There's no filters. Where do I go look? I have to w wait for friends to tell me or something, you know. I know. Well, actually, so that leads right into my number three. Oh, good. Is sort of, it's a little bit, my number three would be bring back mystery. Uh, so I remember, 
Yeah. Like I remember, and I still do. And the Blackie and Rodeo Kings guys go all the time, go to a record store or you go to a music store. I mean, for me, it was even going to like the mall when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. So like HMV or one of those. Yeah, me too. Sunrise. Um, Sunrise is still still has a location, I think, or several. For possibly. now. <laughs> Let's <laughs> but, um, one, one of the fun things about that was you, you went in and you had to pick something based on either what the staff liked or by the look of it or... And I guess maybe that's what kids are doing now with with online stuff. Maybe they're, but to me, the the kind of album artwork has been lost. Totally. And so some of the mystery of like is is the gift of album artwork and like what's inside that. Yes. You know. Agreed, hundred percent. Especially if you don't know. Yeah. So that that's so exciting to me. No, I, I love that third one because you know maybe maybe the government. I mean, this is a crazy idea. I'm just thinking of of the top of my head, but maybe they should be supporting indie, indie record stores. Totally. You know, how would that be, you know, to, to subsidize them if they're having trouble or whatever? Cause you know, there's, there, there's one here and around where I live, it's still going. It's the original record on wheels in Dundas, Ontario, and it's still going, mm. but, uh, geez, there's, I, I don't think there's more than what, 20 or 30 left in the entire country, maybe 50. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, don't, I mean, used to be hundreds. Yeah. Like my, uh, my friend, Brad, who I played in dinner bells with, him actually and another member, they both run record stores in Hamilton. Uh, Revolution Records and Brad's shop is Into the Abyss. Yes, I've been there. I've been to that shop. I love it. And one of the things that I really like that Brad does that I think every record store could and should do, because mm -hmm. it would be so cool, is have shop shows. So Brad brings uh, either local bands or even if it's just one artist, every month or so he'll have a shop show. I love it. And that gives people a chance to meet. You're like meeting other uh, players. If you're a musician, you're like, oh, cool. I need a guitar player. Mm -hmm. And it's a place to hang out, a place to go. It's a place to go. And it's a place to just enjoy music and see a performance and see it in an intimate setting, which is oh, so beautiful. So that that's my, that's number four. Okay. <laughs> we can go four. <laughs> I love it. Cool, man. Well, that's really nice of you to, to come up with all those uh, wonderful ideas for everybody to listen to and uh, support their, their indie record store, et cetera. Supporting female producers, engineers, whatever females want to do in the music business. Let's welcome that. Yeah. Thanks for saying that. Um, you know, this has been so much fun. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time out to do this, Tara. Love everything you do. Um, all the best to you up in Halliburton there. Have fun snowshoeing and try cross country when you get around to it. You'll, you'll love it. I will. It's great exercise too. Uh, just whipping up and down the hills there. So I'll call you. Um, good luck with all your future recordings. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, and I'll definitely go to your next show whenever, whenever I can in year round. Sounds good. Thanks again. Okay. Bye-bye. See you later. Thanks for listening to this podcast, and thanks again to our guest, Tara Lightfoot, for the really fun chat. Make sure to check out next week's episode when I'm joined by Kevin Hearn from the Bare Naked Ladies, who also has a wonderful new solo record just being released. We'll delve into some of his personal life and why he's so blessed to still be here. We'll chat about how he joined the ladies, his time spent with Gord Downey, his hero Lou Reed, and much more. Bye for now. Bye for now.